is themselves to be born again of a different spirit. Then it works. Then the child can choose to do all that you ask them to do out of love because there's a different spirit in them. You see, isn't this the same with us? That when we're born again, we now want to do God's will, but before we were born again, what? We didn't want to submit to God's will. We wanted to do our own thing. It's no different from adulthood and childhood. It's the same gospel. Notice what Paul's saying here. Click, click. It probably doesn't help if I say click, but click. (laughs) Oh, man, I probably went too far now. There we go. Here we go. This is right. Romans 7, 14, 15, and 18. Notice what Paul's saying here. For we know that the law is spiritual. How did Paul, when he was just little, know that the law was spiritual? Because he was trained. He was taught right and wrong. But notice what he's saying here. I was trained to know right from wrong, but... I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, or what I would like to do, I allow not. For what I would, the right things, you know, that I do not. But what I hate, the things I know I shouldn't be doing, that I do. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So Paul had this experience right up until his conversion. I don't know how old Paul was when he was converted, But this was his life all the way up until he was converted. He was trained as a child. He would have been trained in a Jewish home that knew the difference between right and wrong. Right? And this is why I'm going to submit to you. It's not simply about training right and wrong. In raising a child, we can't just say what's right and wrong because within them is the spirit of disobedience. And so Paul's saying, I knew that the law was right. I knew it was spiritual. I knew it was good. But then he came to realize that there's something inside of him that keeps him from what? Doing what actually is right. And what he knew was wrong, he wound up doing it. Why? Because there was something wrong with him. He had the wrong spirit. He really needed to be born again. You can't just know what's right. It takes power from above to do what's right. And so we can't just tell our children right and wrong. We do need to do that. But somehow we're always at the same time trying to reach their heart to love God, to give their heart to Jesus. Because that new spirit in them is what's going to make them want to actually do what you're trying to teach them to do. Okay? So... So far, what we've learned is that there is the spirit of disobedience. But there must be an opposing spirit, right? That would be the spirit of, which is the spirit that Jesus had him, right? He always did his Father's commandments. He was born of the spirit, born of a woman, but also born of the spirit, born of the Holy Spirit when he was born. Kind of like born, born again, if I could say that. I don't know if that's theologically right to say, but I don't know how else to say it. But he began from day one with the Holy Spirit, and so he always did what was right because of why? 
He had what? He had the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. You can't just have a knowledge of right and wrong. You have to have with that the spirit of obedience where it comes from where? From above. Have to have the combination of the two. Okay? So when we talk about train a child, our focus has mostly been over all these years, well, how do you teach them this? How do you teach them that? How do you teach them this? And to struggle and we struggle and we struggle with our children because they still needed to what? Be born again. Make sense? And this is why Jesus said, and I mentioned it in the child dedication, John 17, 19. Notice what Jesus is saying here. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that. There's a reason he's allowed himself and sanctified himself for the purpose that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus knew that there was no way his disciples or any of his followers could be sanctified unless he himself was sanctified. So if our children, we're trying to bring our children up to be sanctified, how do we do that as parents if we're not what? Sanctified. The only way to bring your children up to be sanctified is if we ourselves are born again, adding to our faith every day, depending upon the Holy Spirit to guide us, give us strength. We have to have that experience ourselves so that we can share that with our children. Now, this next statement up here is is one of the ones I like least. But it tells us why we are where we are. We are still in this world not because we've lacked having enough schools or enough churches or enough training in the home. There's one particular reason we're still here and Jesus hasn't come yet. From the General Conference Daily Bulletin, it is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books, are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. So you take 20 parents, 1 in 20, and I'm not saying it applies to this church, 1 in 20 in general don't know what? Right and wrong? That doesn't say we don't have 1 in 20 know right and wrong. We don't have one in 20 that know what it means to be born again. Okay? 19 out of 20 are trying to do what's right, but are struggling. Why are they struggling? Trying to do it what? By their own strength. But what we need is what? Divine help. And everything God has asked us to do, he'll give us the power to do it. But that is the power. It is the only power that enables to do everything that God asks. And without that power, we can't do it because we would still have the spirit of what? Disobedience in our own lives. And we're going to struggle knowing what's right and not doing what's right because ultimately we need to be free, delivered from the spirit of disobedience and have implanted in us the spirit of obedience, which is the same as the spirit of Jesus Christ, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would live in my heart that I might now love to do what's right. Not just be able to do it, but love it. That's the difference. So in our churches, 
We can continue to talk about right and wrong. But until we are filled with the Holy Spirit because we have surrendered our own will to do the will of God, that we have specifically prayed and said, Father, forgive me. I was born with this spirit of disobedience, and Father, I want it crucified in me. I want it dead. I want it gone. And Father, I want that spirit of disobedience replaced by the very spirit of Jesus, which I know I can't do, but I I want it. And Father, every day I'm going to do whatever I can to receive it. Because just because you want the spirit of obedience, but if you do nothing during the day to receive, we've got a problem. Because having something is not simply based on a desire. Having the spirit of obedience, the spirit of Jesus, means that you not only want Jesus, you reach out to Jesus. You spend time with Jesus. You pray to the Father in Jesus' name. You study Jesus' life. You surrender anything unlike Jesus and say, Father, I want Jesus. And you're now exercising your faith. And everybody's got faith because God's all given us a measure of faith. And if we exercise the measure of faith that God has given us, it will grow. The more we want to be like Jesus, the more we'll have of the spirit of Jesus. Does that make sense? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Notice the emphasis here. The instruction these Hebrew children had received in the homes of their parents made them strong in faith and constant in their service of the living God and the creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth. When I look at that statement, the parents of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah didn't just teach these Hebrew children right and wrong, or right from wrong. They taught them to have be strong in faith and constant in their relationship with the Creator. They were teaching them how to have what? A relationship with God. Not just to know what God expected of you, but to know this God Himself. They responded as the parents taught them how to pray to God, how to talk to God, how the parents demonstrated in their own life a dependency of God. And you, you lose your keys, but you start with, and the kids see that. Or you lose your keys and you never pray. And the kids become accustomed that we do things without God. And yet we want our children always to know that there's nothing too small Nothing too big that God doesn't care about. That we will always constantly seek to be in relationship with the living God. And so his parents were saying, God is alive. God is alive. He's here, children. We need to know him, praise him, love him, glorify him. Not just know right from wrong. So Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael learned to know God, whereas Paul learned to know right from wrong, but didn't learn to know God himself. 
They were all trained. They were all trained to know the same right from wrong. But one set of parents says, this is how you get to know God, and the other just focused on right and wrong. Notice this is such a beautiful statement. Patriarchs and Prophets 3.15. A custom as they, the Hebrew people, they were in Egypt, had been in Egypt to material representations of deity. I mean, they saw all these idols and stuff. It had been hard for them to trust in an invisible being. And they had come to rely upon Moses to sustain their faith. Why were they dependent on Moses? Because they could what? They could actually see him. Day after day, week after week, this is when Moses is on the mount, day after day, week after week passed, and still he did not return. Notwithstanding, the cloud was still in view. It seemed to many in the camp that their leader had deserted them or that he had been consumed by the devouring fire. This is why we have a second commandment. Thou shalt make no graven images. And it's not just that this invisible God who's all-knowing and ever-present could never be, you know, confined to some object, right? It lessens our concept to God, but it does something else to us. It makes you more accustomed to trust in only what you see. And so if people, even as children or adults, are never taught how to trust him that they cannot see, people will always live the rest of their life only trusting what they can So when people wonder after the beast in the end of time, they never became accustomed to worshiping him that they cannot see. Their faith was in their priest, their faith was in their pastor, their faith was in this, their faith was in their heritage. They never learned to have faith in him that they cannot see. This was just simply their training. But overall, the training failed them because it lacked something. They were never taught how to know him who's invisible. How to trust him who's invisible. And the greatest thing you'll teach your children, and I'm not putting down the rights and the wrongs, that has to be. But something greater than that is to know that God is alive and that your children can pray to him and he will respond to them. And he'll become their best friend and to realize that Jesus was their age too at one time. Wow. Because even Jesus says, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. Isn't that it? That's the key. Teaching our children how to know God and to love God. So Moses is on the mount, and the people couldn't see Moses because they simply transferred their faith of things that they'd see from these idols to Moses. They couldn't see Moses anymore, so now they wanted to make what? They wanted to make a golden calf. Why? So they could see it. they, They had to have something they could see. And that's going to be some of the problems with this Sunday movement in the end of time. All the false healings is something that they see. The law itself is something that they, yeah. The power that they gain is something that they, it's all based upon what they see. has nothing to do with knowing the invisible God and his character and that he is love and he would never ask us to go out and start killing people 
or keeping people from buying and selling. Our world's a mess, friends. So, when Moses was gone, and of course, of all beings in the universe, God knew that the Israelites had placed their faith in Moses, predominantly. And God knew what? They knew they were going to make the golden calf, and yet he still gave them an opportunity to what? Trust him. Moses is gone for how long? 40 days. In those 40 days, the Hebrews had two choices. They could look for someone or something else to trust in that they could see, or they could start learning what? Faith in him that they do not see. God's going to give you those same opportunities. Someone that you see will fail you, right? Or won't be there anymore. And that will be an opportunity to believe and lean and love him that you cannot see. Okay? People became restless, made the wrong decision, decided to go with something they could see. Aaron. Such a crisis demanded a man of firmness, decision, and flinching courage. One who held the honor of God above popular favor, personal safety, or life itself. Aaron feared feared for his own safety, and instead of nobly standing up for the honor of God, he yielded to the demands of the multitude. But if Aaron had had courage to stand for the right, irrespective of the consequences, he could have prevented that apostasy. Wow. Aaron had training, (laughs) you know. Why did Aaron do what he did? Why did he give in? Oh, that's who Aaron was. That's why we do things, right? We do things because, well, simply where we're at. Not that we didn't have an opportunity to do better, but when we make right decisions, there was an opportunity to do wrong, too. We have, at all times, the opportunity to do right and wrong. Okay? Aaron gave in. But why did Aaron give in? Well, there's, there's nothing in the text that tells us that Aaron gave in because of some unfortunate unforsaken sin in his life. There's nothing recorded that way. But if you look at the totality of Aaron's life, there's his upbringing, his training, his associations. Uh, His training all took place where? In Egypt, surrounded by Egyptian materialism and idolatry. Uh, His own personal decisions, hereditary traits, are just some of the things that made Aaron who he was and why he made the decisions that he did. But notice Jochebed, who is the mother of Miriam, who's the oldest child. Aaron, who was next uh, oldest child. And then Moses. Moses was three years younger than Aaron. But there was a special birth, really, to Moses in that he was hid in the bulrushes. And his mother knew that he'd wind up being uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? But because of that, notice what this says here. Patriarchs and Prophets 243-244. She felt, Jochebed, that he, Moses, had been preserved for some great work, and she knew that he must soon be given up to his royal mother to be surrounded with influences that would tend to lead him away from God. 
all this, all this thing that was happening, this rendered her more diligent and careful in his instruction than in that of her other children. Isn't that an interesting statement? The next slide's going to say that Moses had a superior upbringing. Is that a true statement? Could I say that? Yeah, I mean, Moses actually had better training as a child because Jochebed realized something. She realized she had to do something better with this child than she'd done with the first two because of these circumstances. Now, think of our circumstances. I mean, look at our world. Is it getting better? It's getting worse. Lord coming soon? Absolutely. Would this be like Moses winding up in the Pharaoh's court? Think how tough it is to grow up as a child today in this world. How much more serious we need to be about the raising of our children to make sure they know right from wrong and, first and foremost, how to love God. How to have communion with Him. How to be empowered from above. That the child realizes that somehow... He or she needs God's help to do what mom and dad are asking him or her to do. That's the key. Because if they don't learn that, they're going to struggle wanting to do what you want them to do, but this other spirit in them is going to make it really, really hard for them. They do need to learn this. We need to learn this. Moses had a superior training to that of Miriam and Aaron, not because of favoritism, wasn't because Jochebed loved Moses more, but because Jochebed knew that this was a certain special circumstance. She had a greater understanding, really, between what, of what was happening. But I want to also notice that Miriam and Aaron completely grew up where? In Egypt, completely surrounded by Egyptian materialism and idolatry. But Moses was able to spend what? He was actually able to spend 40 years in the wilderness beholding the great mountains and the things that God had made to learn about what? How great God is. And the greater he saw how God was because of his environment, the smaller man became, the smaller Pharaoh became. So Moses had an advantage. His mother kind of buckled down and learned how to do a better training, and Moses had the advantage that he was out in the wilderness. And he was not surrounded by all this sinfulness of the Egyptian. Makes a difference. Environment matters. And so Moses really had a little different training, didn't he? And had Moses been in Aaron's shoes, Moses would have took a stand and that golden calf would have never been made. Do you believe that? Think of Mary. Am I doing okay on time? I'm sorry. How, how long do we go? Am I okay right now? How many would I got? Oh, no, that's dangerous. Okay. Mary, an angel came to Mary. Hail, thou art highly favored. Um, there's a special kind of meaning to that, too. Uh, thou shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. But notice the sweet spirit of Mary, where most people who are approached by this do what? They don't respond just like this. Not, not most of the stories in the Bible, but notice Mary. 
How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? Now, that talks a lot about the purity of Mary, right? Decisions she's made in life. Behold, and then she says, after she's spoken to again, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Just this perfect, sweet trust. She never even questioned heavenly beings, never questioned God's love, never questioned anything because she really knew who? She really did know God. She grew up knowing how to commune with God, which is, I think, one reason God chose Mary And there's another reason here. I think it'll come up here pretty soon. And the angel answered and said unto her, uh, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Now notice the emphasis here. She says, I've never been with a man. But the, the angel says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What do we find repeated in this statement? Holy Spirit. Isn't that the difference? You see, when we're talking about the birth of Jesus or we're talking about the birth of John the Baptist or whatever, when we have these special births mentioned, there's something. It's not just instruction. It's the Holy Spirit. It's going to make a difference here. Okay? And we know that for our own experience. The angel said to Zacharias, okay, concerning the birth of John the Baptist, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with, uh, even from his mother's womb. You see the difference here? It's not just it says train, train, right and wrong. What do we find here? Need the Holy Spirit. Parents need the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will train them to train the child. And the child needs the Holy Spirit. So you can pray for the Holy Spirit to influence your child, though your child wouldn't even know how to pray that prayer yet. Praying for your child, realizing that you can't do this by yourself. In fact, this child is simply being trusted to you. The child actually belongs to who? God himself. He's entrusted you with this child that you yourself will choose to be empowered because without that power, you can't even do the right thing. And if you can't do the right thing, you can't treat your child the right way. So the only way to teach the, teach the child the right way is for us to go the right way by the power of the... I know I'm saying this over and over, and this is the emphasis of this first sermon. But this is, this is critical. Because we train and train and train and train and don't talk enough about being born again in the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now that doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit. But before Jeremiah was born, God had in mind a mission for this child. Right? But notice this next statement. He gives to every man his work. How many? Just like Jeremiah? Absolutely. Each has his place in the eternal plan of heaven. Each is to work in cooperation with Christ for the salvation of souls. Now notice this. Not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. Do you believe that God's preparing a place for you in heaven? Well, just as assuredly, even more assuredly that he's doing that, he has a place for you here right now, a work to do. 
if that mansion's real, the work he has for you is real, which means that if you have a child and God's given a mission to everyone, your child has a mission. And what you're going to do is to see how God unfolds that mission in your child as you teach them right from wrong and how to depend upon God. And over time, the, the, the mission, the, the aspirations of this child become more and more evident. Maybe they're going to be a teacher. Maybe they're going to be this. Maybe they're going to be this. And so you encourage this along. But basically, you're training them to love God, to know right from wrong, as you see them developing, because you already know God's got what? Got a special mission for this child and his kingdom. Okay? Joseph. There was one, however, of a widely different character, speaking in terms of his brothers, you know. The elder son of Rachel, Joseph, whose rare personal beauty seemed but to reflect a what? Something inward. An inward beauty of mind and heart. Pure, active, and joyous, the lad gave evidence also of moral earnestness and firmness. He listened to his father's instructions and loved to obey God. The qualities that afterward would distinguish him in Egypt, gentleness, fidelity, and truthfulness, were already manifest in his daily life. And the reason I put this statement up there is because Joseph wasn't just doing right things. There was something what? There's something happened inside of him. Something inward. God touched his heart. And because God touched his heart, he didn't just do the right thing. He loved to do the right thing. Right? For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was our guile found in his mouth. And that verse doesn't apply just to us as adults, but also to children, because Jesus himself was... A child, he was a baby, he was a lad, he was a teenager. And he becomes the example for how many? All of us, no matter how old we are or wherever we live, he's an example for everybody. Jesus is the perfect pattern, and it is the duty and privilege of every child in youth to copy the pattern. He was able to resist the temptation of Satan through his dependence upon divine power. You see the thing here, the difference? of his heavenly father, as he was subject to his will and obedient to all his commands, he was continually seeking counsel of God and was obedient to his will. So Jesus is the perfect pattern. When we look at this, Jesus didn't simply know the father's will. He depended upon what? Divine power. Right? That's how he did it. He depended upon divine power, subject to the father's will, which is how he was able to be subject to the will, because he was dependent upon divine power, but he continually seek counsel. Now, you would only seek counsel from God if you were what? In communion with God. That you were seeking God for counsel. But most people in the world seek counsel from what you can see. Right? Okay. But to learn to seek counsel from God and studying his word, that God can impress your heart because he knows he's a living God, is exactly how he wants to teach us as adults. And then we help our children to study the Bible the same way. Don't just study it to get the right answers at Sabbath school. Study it in a way in which you're seeking counsel from God, who's your friend, who will give you the power to do everything he's asking you to do. It will please the Lord Jesus to have the children ask him for spiritual grace 
to bring all their perplexities and trials to the Savior. For he knows how to help their children and youth because he was a child himself and was once subject to all the trials, disappointments, and perplexities to which children are and youth are subject. God's promise is given as much to children and youth as to those of more mature age. So Jesus loves it when children come to him personally for what? Spiritual graces. That they learn to come to him to bring their perplexities and receive spiritual graces to get through those perplexities. So that's how we teach our children to pray. Bring your complexity, perplexities, bring your trials, bring them to Jesus, but little Jimmy, pray that God will give you spiritual blessings and these spiritual graces, the power to do the right thing. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Wow, what a statement. Wow, whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are his enablings. I mean, just the word of God. I have no idea what omnipotent means. But God created the universe by what? Just speaking the word. I can't even comprehend that kind of power. And yet any power we would need to do the rights available to us. It's all available to us. It's important to know right from wrong, but we also need to be empowered. And I only got these, well, let's see. Anyway, maybe I'll close here and we'll pick this back up. We'll do child salvation part two. Is that okay? When we look upon his patient self-denial, his shrinking from all notoriety, devoting himself to his daily labor in a humble sphere, what a beautiful light is shed about his life. How, notice what it says here, how clearly is pointed out the path in which who? Children and youth should walk. In our world, people try to make superstars out of their kids. Trying to bring all the attention to their kids. Jesus is the pattern. The greatest thing you do for your kids is not put them in the limelight. Is to help them to learn humility. Help them to enjoy the simpler things in life. To learn to have a quiet attitude and yet full of faith. Okay? Which means that we ourselves need to have pride crucified in ourselves that we're not trying to get limelight, that we just want to serve. Whoever you can help, whoever you can be a blessing to, be a blessing without notoriety. Nobody has to see it. And you serve and you serve and your children pick up that same spirit and they serve and they serve without notoriety and they will develop this most beautiful, beautiful character in the character of Christ. And I can assure you, we're just beginning to touch this subject. I'm sure there'll be a part three anyway. But it's the same, same principles. As we look at what's available to us, there's not a lot written about childhood in the Bible, but enough for us in the Bible spirit of prophecy that we may gain strength and knowledge and wisdom from above and then ask God to give us the power to implement these things. So before we have our closing hymn, we, or our closing prayer, I always say it that way. I always say it the wrong way. Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn.
And our hymn is 528. Are you leaving? Let's stand up with 528. Shelter in the time of storm. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for you are altogether beautiful and wonderful, and we want to thank you for the gift of your Son, who to us is that mighty rock. We thank you, Father, for the constant, perfect spiritual guide or guidance of the Holy Spirit to us, who knows exactly just how to lead each one of us. So, Father, continue to lead us into truth. Continue to lead us closer to yourself. Help us, Father, to have self-crucified that ye might increase and we decrease. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for all the lovely angels who are ministering to this human family by the billions each day. 
So, Father, as we dismiss, we ask that you uh, be with us in our fellowship meal together afterwards or in our safe travels home. But we pray, Father, to continue to give you the glory you deserve during these sacred hours. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.